Hey, this is Jeff. Just a heads up. We discuss racially sensitive topics in this week's episode. The following podcast contains explicit language. What you're hearing is a snippet of sound from Eagles practice at the Novacare Complex in September 2013. The music was bumping just days before the regular season opener. What you can't see is Carrie Williams gripping up Riley Cooper by the face mask of his helmet and for about five seconds throwing a series of right-handed punches to his head. Eventually, coaches and players broke it up. Cooper talked about the fight after practice. Everything's completely 100% normal, talking to everybody, everybody talking to me. We're all real close, everybody. Carrie included. He's my, he's my boy. Carrie Williams most definitely was not Riley Cooper's boy. I approached him at his locker stall that day, and this is what he said to me. Don't even come by here. I'm not talking about it. Ten years later, there's a lot about 2013 that Carrie still doesn't understand. Why a teammate would use the N-word in public. Why most of Carrie's teammates didn't join him in speaking out. Why the leadership of the Philadelphia Eagles, from the coach to the GM, all the way up to the owner, didn't do more. Carrie's got some theories. He has opinions, but in his mind, there was only one right course of action for the team to take. Riley Cooper should have never been allowed back on the Eagles. What am I supposed to do in a situation like that as a player when you're between a rock and a hard place where you got to be forced to be with a guy who may or may not like the color of your skin? What am I supposed to do in that situation? I got to eat that shit. To a lot of Eagles fans, Kerry Williams was a cornerback who never really made a huge impact in Philly and never quite fit in. They remember him more for being outspoken and defiant. The dust-ups with the Patriots in joint practices, seemingly always willing to say what was on his mind in the locker room, and lastly and most prominently, using sconces as an excuse for missing voluntary workouts. If Carrie sounded fed up to you, you're right. He was. Nobody was held accountable in this situation. But I was held accountable. I was held as the, the guy that just was, was a bad person. The guy that just can't get over the shit that happened outside of sports. Are you effing kidding me? I'm Jeff McLean. I'm the Eagles beat reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And this is Uncovering the Birds, a Philadelphia Inquirer and KOW News Radio original podcast sponsored by Wawa. Episode 8 Truth to Power. When I look at my situation growing up and my struggles that I had, and the reason why a lot of times I struggled with attitude, I struggled with anger was because of my circumstances that I live with. Carrie Williams has been angry ever since he was a kid, and for a legit reason. His mom was never really in the picture. 
during that time, my mom was doing her best. She was an addict. Carrie told me his mother got addicted to crack cocaine. He also said she's a diagnosed schizophrenic and has been in and out of institutions. That left Carrie, his brother, and his dad in a neighborhood five miles north of downtown Miami. I come from Liberty City. It wasn't much success out there. Crime rate was high. Drugs and, and all of that stuff was, you know, around us each and every day. And really people glorified that. And I didn't want to do that. With his mother not in his life, Carrie learned what it was like to be let down at an early age. It wouldn't be the last time he felt this way. In fact, it's a recurring theme in his life story. Life was hard without Carrie's mom, especially on his dad. Carrie said he wasn't perfect, but Carrie respected his dad. He did as much as he could for him and his brother. As a young kid, my dad always taught us to go against the grain, never be a, a follower, always lead. I took that to heart. And a lot of times people made fun of me for that. And a lot of times I wasn't necessarily accepted in some groups. But at the end of the day, it's helped propel me into the situation, into the life, into the, the position that I am today. Maybe the biggest thing that Carrie's dad did for him when he was young was get a football in his hands and teach him the fundamentals of the game. In a hotbed like Miami, that gave him a leg up. All Carrie ever wanted to do was play football at the U, Miami. He wanted to go there so bad that he and his dad turned down a scholarship offer to NC State in the hopes of holding out for Miami to show interest. But an offer never came, and Carrie missed out on playing for a big-time school. That was another big letdown for him, and he wound up at Fordham in the Bronx, a Division I AA school at the time. Fordham ended up being a disappointment, too. The way they coached was different. The way they handled things was different. And I got in trouble because of a lot of that. And it wasn't because of his off-the-field issues or anything like that. It was more so on-the-field stuff that I used to get in trouble for, like uh, complaining why I wasn't playing, trying to figure out what you mean, wait my turn. Because in Miami, Florida... The best players played. It didn't matter if he was a freshman. It didn't matter if he was a senior. If you was beating out a senior in practice, then heck, that's who's going to start. That wasn't the case at Fordham, according to Carey. He spoke up, not in a disrespectful way. He just wanted to get on the field. And all Fordham heard were his complaints. That was a culture shock for me. When I went to Fordham, that was, a, that was the first time in my life I was like, well, maybe it's not for me. Maybe you know I should start looking at a different career or start setting myself up for a different opportunity. I was like, you know, football is football. If it happens, it happens or whatever the case may be. At this point, there seems to be two overarching themes that are emerging in Carrie's life. Number one, he's being let down. And number two, whenever he spoke out, he felt people weren't listening. Keep those ideas in mind. When Fordham didn't work out, Carrie transferred to Washburn University, a Division II school in Topeka, Kansas. To his credit, he kept himself on the radar of NFL scouts, even though it was very rare for a Division II player to be drafted. Carrie made it happen. He was picked by Tennessee in the seventh and last round of the 2008 NFL draft. He was proud. Mission accomplished, in a way. But part of Kerry was also disappointed. He thought he should have gone higher. The NFL don't respect a lot of guys that's from small schools, right? In particular, these scouts. 
and I'm just going to say it, uh, it's a lot of scouts that never played the game of football, right? They don't know what it takes to get there because they've never lived it. They can say they do. That's just, to me, lip service. In the middle of the next season, in 2009, Carey got his big break. Baltimore signed him off the Titans practice squad. It didn't take him long to realize he had found his perfect match. All the key ingredients with the Ravens, the culture, the personnel, it was the right fit. Plus, Baltimore had two future Hall of Famers on its roster that played at the University of Miami, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Man, it was a dream come true, man. Um, to be honest, those guys were heroes. Those guys are icons. Those guys are unbelievable leaders. I was spanning out at first, man. And, and then when those guys started to believe that I could play, that I could be a part of the defense, man, that's what kept me hungry. That's what kept me focused. Those guys had the ability to galvanize and to bring the best out of people. Carey won a starting cornerback job in his second season in Baltimore in 2011. In his third year, he had four interceptions, scored a touchdown, knocked down 17 passes, and the Ravens won the Super Bowl. The ring was nice, but the culture in Baltimore that Lewis and Reed helped create, that was what Carey remembered most about his time with the Ravens. They loved everybody, and I think that's what it is. You just, you just got to love but everybody in the locker room because they just knew that everybody in the locker room was just as important as they were. And they never walked around with an attitude of, you know, they're better than anybody or anything like that. They were just humble people, man. The offseason after the Ravens won the Super Bowl, Carey was a free agent and found himself at a crossroads. Baltimore had a young up-and-coming cornerback ready to replace him. And Carey, meanwhile, wanted to test the market. Carey was hurt leaving the Ravens, but he went looking for the next best thing. He thought he found it in Philadelphia. The Eagles signed him in March of 2013. What was it about Philly that attracted you to that organization, or was it just, you know, typically? The history, it was the same thing. The history, it was those guys that came before, the leadership. One, it was the money, too. Uh, it was the opportunity to, you know, to make money. But it was a football city. It was a city that was just as hungry, just as dedicated, just as hardworking as I was. So when I looked at that organization, I looked at the Eagles organization, I'm like, well, shoot, I, I could fit in. A few months later, we were supposed to get our first introduction to Carrie on the field at voluntary team workouts. Carrie didn't show. He wasn't alone. There were other veterans who skipped OTAs as well. But this would be the backdrop for a soundbite that stuck with Carrie ever since. Here's part of the story from the Enquirer when Carrie finally showed up and explained his absence. Carrie told reporters, I don't want to sound like it's disrespect. I love my job. I just had to make sure my sconces, my wood was picked out, my fireplace. It was a whole bunch of stuff that was going on. For context, Carrie was building his family's first home. He also said, it's just funny. I mean, fans, I love you all, but geez, give me a break. If I was a guy that had three kids with three different women and I was a womanizer, you'd be reporting that. Now I'm a guy that wants to go see his girl's recital and I'm a bad guy. Like, come on, man. These remarks didn't hit it off with Eagles fans. 
I'm sorry that people make such a big deal out of something that's so small. And so, you know, instead of, you know, people reporting about me being a bad father or, or being a good father, that is, um, I would much rather, uh, you know, you talk about something more important, man. Internally, the team wasn't exactly pleased either. This was Chip Kelly's first season as the Eagles head coach. He was coming from college to the pros and had to learn how to deal with professionals. Making spring workouts voluntary was something the players had negotiated for during the NFL's 2011 lockout. Publicly, Kelly wasn't critical of Kerry and the other players who didn't show. But privately, like many Eagles fans, he wanted them there. You got like your first introduction to the rabid fans when you know the, when you didn't show up for the OTAs. Were you shocked, but by the reaction to that, or was were you just like, oh, no, I, w- I wasn't shocked at all about the reaction. For me, it was a huge moment for me. We just had won a Super Bowl, and then I was just purchasing my first house. Now I've lived in apartments my whole damn life, man. Paying rent was something that I did, and I that's all I knew. While Carrie grew up in apartments, he told me his wife grew up in the projects. They have four kids now, three daughters and a son. But back then, it was just the two of them and their daughter. And this was a big deal. When my daughter was able to see her room, to see her reaction, I wanted to be there, man. I did, it, it wasn't the fact, you know, because I'm going to be honest, man. Football was secondary to me when I had my daughter. That was, you know, football was secondary to me. It was just something that I did. It was a job. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I'm going to always be my daughter's father. I'm always going to be my my wife's husband. So those are the things that were, that were more important at that time because OTAs weren't necessarily a mandatory thing. In hindsight, Carrie admitted that he could have expressed himself differently. But he had zero regrets about not being there. I've never brought a house in my life. Nobody in my family that I knew owned a spot. It was just an emotional time for me, and I don't think that the media necessarily understood that or saw it from my perspective, and that's fine. Everybody's going to have their, you know, their opinions. The other reason Carrie said he wasn't at the Eagles' voluntary OTAs was because he wanted to be at his daughter's dance recital. Some weren't satisfied with that either. Many were judging Carrie based on the surface value of his comments, but what he said they failed to consider were his motivations. Like he told us himself, that same day he spoke about the sconces, he didn't come from a traditional two-parent household. Presence is everything to kids, man. I can give them anything in the world. My kids can have their own room, own bathroom. We could have a pool in our backyard, and we could have a play gym in our backyard. That stuff is doesn't mean a darn thing if daddy's not there. That stuff is is just stuff. What kids really want. What kids really love from their parents is their time. Man, my mother was on drugs, man. She still is. For 38 years, I've been living with that without having a mom that's constantly present in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that. Like, it's, it's a, it hurts. I remember vividly going to, you know, mental institutions where... My mom was in these buildings with people that couldn't speak coherently, people speaking to themselves. Like, I'll never forget that. Those, those are things that are, that are forever embedded into my childhood and embedded into my, my memory. 
I, I just remember, man, it, it was tough to act like I don't know what the hell's going on. For me to just kind of pretend to live in that kid land and not understand what was going on. And I understood it. And it, it was tough, man. It was a lot. It was a lot of, you know, heartache. It was a lot of teary nights. I, I'll say this, even during my collegiate time, it was teary nights, not because of the lack of success I had on the field, but because, you know, my mom wasn't present. It took Kerry a long time to realize just how deep his mom's absence hit, how much he was let down. I don't care how old you are, you're always going to need your mother's presence. You always want to hear your mother saying great things about you. You always want to, you know, keep going, Kerry, you can do it. You know what I mean? I never got that. It had an effect on my life. It, 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 a lot of the, the chip on my shoulder was 98% my mother. The fact that one, she was never able to see me play college football because she wasn't in the right space of mind. Yeah. Two, she never came to an NFL game because she wasn't in the right space of mind. My mom's still on the streets now. Do you know where she and, is? Yeah, I know where she is. It's it's People don't understand that struggle too. You know what I mean? Like I, for my entire life, since I've been in the league, I, since I was in the league, I tried to help. And this is a situation where money just doesn't help. I thought for sure when I came into the league, oh man, I made it. I can buy my mom a house. I can buy my mom furniture. She will stay there. Yeah, that's all cool and fun to think about. It's awesome to think about that. You want to help your mom. But really, that didn't help at all. It was a struggle for this. She's struggling with something. It's not, money is not going to help that process. Yeah. You know what I mean? For people who didn't understand it, it's fine. You don't have to understand it. But at the end of the day, I live for my family. The Sconces episode was Carrie Williams's introduction to Philadelphia in 2013. It didn't go so well. Maybe because he was too honest. Later that summer, he would be thrust into another controversy. This time, it was brought on by a teammate and the Eagles' mishandling of the aftermath. We'll be right back. With Wawa Smoothies, transitions in your day couldn't be smoother. Whether you're shifting into the night or taking the night shift, leaping into vacay or planning for the next day, soaking up the sun or getting errands done, get ready to sip into the weekend or out of a Monday with a variety of delicious smoothies like strawberry cheesecake, caramel chocolate chip, or a mango fruit smoothie. No matter the occasion, you'll have a flavor to move into any moment. Make a smooth transition with a Wawa smoothie. I'm Jeff McLean, and this is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa. The countdown was on. It was four days from the Eagles' season opener on Monday Night Football in 2013, the beginning of the Chip Kelly era. But football wasn't the main story of the day. It was a fight that broke out between Kerry Williams and receiver Riley Cooper during practice. Brandon Boykin played cornerback with Kerry. He was asked about what he saw after practice. 
don't want you know anybody to read into it more than what it was. Just a little scuffle at practice. This is what Deshaun Jackson had to say. He tries to do things where you know, he can intimidate receivers, and you know some people might back down from him. You know, guys aren't really afraid of that. Carey didn't want to talk to reporters that day. When we caught up recently, he remembered it being just a bang-bang play. But when Cooper got up and came at him, Carey reacted. He was running out, I believe, and I just, you know, we were both diving on the ground. I landed on him. And I think to some degree, Raleigh thought that going down to the ground on the week of a game was wrong. That's football. It's football. That's what football is. But when he got up, he got up like he wanted to do something. So when he got up like he wanted to do something, that's what I did. The fight occurred in the early portion of practice in which the media could attend. Cameras were there. As a reporter, I knew there had to be more to this. And when the video was aired not long after the incident, I slowed down the tape and zoomed in on Williams and read his lips. It appeared to me that he was saying something in particular. I was able to get a couple sources to tell me what Williams had said, which was, I'm not a N-word you can fuck with. So I asked those players if Carrie had a specific intent in using that word toward Cooper, and they agreed he did. And this is why. I, I will jump that fence and fight every That's video of Riley Cooper directing a racial slur at security at a Kenny Chesney concert at Lincoln Financial Field. It was published by the website Crossing Broad on July 31st, 2013. The video set off a firestorm. Carrie couldn't remember exactly how he found out about it. He just remembers how he felt when he saw it. This is a, a white man using the N-word to a group of people who's doing their jobs to a group of people who are getting paid to do something to protect not only the fan, but also the performer too, right? And for some reason, in his drunk state, whatever it may be, he decided to use a derogatory term that was directed at a group of Black men. And I don't know if it was women there, but that had me hot. When the video became public, Riley immediately apologized to a group of reporters at the Novacare Complex. When you're, in a, when you're in a locker room where the majority of your teammates are black, how do you let that word come out of your mouth? Um, I shouldn't have. I'm disgusted and I'm sorry. That's not the type of person I am. And, um, I wasn't raised that way. I got a great mom and dad at home. And um, they're extremely disappointed. Later that day, several prominent black players addressed the media as well. They said that while they were upset by what they had heard, they had accepted Riley's apology. Carrie was not one of them. He told me when we spoke that the only right course of action was unequivocal. There was no place for Riley Cooper in the Eagles locker room anymore. That had me frustrated. I wasn't the only one frustrated in the hot, but it wasn't many people coming out to say shit. 
I was the only one that really had the guts to say something or say how I felt about the situation. I didn't feel comfortable with Riley Cooper being on my damn team. Why? Because it's 80% black, 60% black in this damn locker room. And you're going to use the N-word at a group of people that, that, that's doing their jobs. So what did the Eagles do? They fined Riley an undisclosed amount and sent him away for what was supposed to be sensitivity training. I tried to find out the details of his counseling, but never got an answer. I do know that he returned home to his family in Clearwater, Florida. Riley returned to the Eagles just several days later. So Michael Vick and Jason Avant and all these guys went public to defend Riley or say that, you know, we're going to embrace him and bring him in and, and like, so self-preservation or were they just trying to, or were, or were they just trying to save, or were they, were they trying to save the team because they, they felt just like trying to save their damn jobs, man. It's, it's like, what, I mean, what, what are you saving the team from? What are I, you saving the team from? I guess splintering it. I don't know. Splintering it into what? Right. You know, it was already dysfunctional. Like, I mean, splintering it into what? Like, he never really got. Oh, punched. you talking about in half? Like, oh, it'd be black versus white, or whatever the case may be. Or Is guys, guys, about? guys with Riley and guys against. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, man, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I didn't like that either. I didn't like that. Um, I think everybody has a responsibility. At that particular time, it was 2013. I don't know what people are doing in America right now with the books or whatever the case may be, taking out history and all that stuff. But it means something. It holds weight. It's, it's so that we don't go down the same path again, right? That's why we we learn our history. That's why we we learn from it. And we do things to take action so that we won't repeat those same mistakes that our forefathers have have, have established and, and, and went through, right? In this situation, it made me mad. Jason Avant, great guy. Michael Vick, great guy. Great teammates. I don't have nothing negative to say against those guys, man. But at the end of the day, I, I felt like the situation wasn't necessarily handled the best. In one team meeting? Kerry couldn't believe what he was hearing. We had a prominent coach come out and say, you know, N-word is just as bad as B-word, man. And I sat in that meeting, I'm just like, dog, it's a lot of dudes in here that's black and brown, and they don't have nothing to say about this. And it's just like, well, now we just diminished everything. (laughs) So it's just a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of crap. That would have never happened in in a Ravens locker room, Ravens organization. That would have never happened. There was a lot more going on during this time. Jeremy Macklin was lost for the season during training camp. Then the video with Riley came out. But the Eagles needed a receiver. Riley went on to flourish in 2013 and had a career year. The Eagles gave him a five-year, $22.5 million extension that next offseason. Carrie's interpretation of what played out was pretty cut and dry. Thanks for using the N-word. Yeah. Congratulations, buddy. We'll pay you. I wonder how much of an effect that had on Jeffrey Lurie down the path. Because Jeffrey is about as progressive as an owner there, as there is in the NFL. Is he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He let him stay. So at the end of the day, that's your organization, Jeff. Mr. Lurie, that's what you're doing, bro. Yeah. Like, like that. You, you are the owner of that. If you wanted to say, hey, we do not want this guy here, he's gone. Do you think so? You telling me he's the most progressive guy? It's hard for me to believe it because he stayed for more than a year. This was yet another colossal letdown in Carrie's life. A white player using a racial slur that had made a black player like him feel uncomfortable. 
yet he was forced to take it. Carey said he spoke up internally with coaches and players, but to no avail. Carey felt let down by his teammates, first and foremost by Riley Cooper, but also by the rest of the locker room for not putting pressure on the team to get rid of him. It was also clear that Carey felt betrayed by team leadership, not just owner Jeffrey Lurie, but also by Chip Kelly. Carey felt like he was the one being portrayed as the bad guy for speaking up, for not being able to get over everything. It's a system, man. It's a system, man. And yeah, Mrs. Lurie, I appreciate your progressive thoughts. But during, when it was time to be progressive, when it was time to do something, you did nothing. So that's the only thing I got off of your history, bro. You allowed that brother to play. You gave everybody hugs and hand claps like stuff was straight, and it wasn't. Aside from that dust-up at practice, just ahead of the 2013 season opener, Carrie and Riley didn't have any more apparent run-ins on the Eagles. The rest of that season was up and down for Carrie. The Eagles went 10-6 and and made the playoffs. But behind the scenes, he described a defense in chaos, victims of the way Chip Kelly wanted to play offense. He said he approached Chip and his defensive coordinator, Billy Davis, along with other coaches, and voiced his concerns. But nothing happened. I was the only one speaking truth to power. And I think that, too, is, is the reason why we didn't have that much success either, because it was never a group of guys that was willing to come out and be honest. Because I feel like if we had enough guys that was coming out to be honest and not just me speaking honestly about what was going on and really holding back on a lot of stuff that was going on too, you know what I mean? We could have been better than that. We weren't just a 10 and 16. Carey was released after the 2014 season. Riley played here through 2015 and was the first player cut after Chip Kelly was fired. Carey had said that he had actually talked to Riley at one point about the video from the Kenny Chesney concert, about how and why that word came out of his mouth. Carrie said he forgave him, but that doesn't mean he ever got over it. The explanation of it was just the most foolish and ignorant. And um, man, it, 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 I didn't understand it, to be honest. So he said at one point when they told him no, he was so mad that he wanted to fight the guys. So when he, when, when he couldn't fight the guys, he just shouted something that would just piss those guys off so bad that they would want to fight him or want to attack him or something like that. And I'm like, all right, man, fucking idiot. But whatever, like, you know, like, whatever, man. Like, what am I supposed to do in a situation like that as a player when you between a rock and a hard place where you got to be forced to be with a guy who may or may not like the color of your skin? What am I supposed to do in that situation? The leadership was fucked up. The leadership wasn't necessarily there. They didn't, they didn't come out and say things when things needed to be said. They didn't, they didn't try to get the change to happen now. I've made several attempts to reach out to Riley Cooper to get him to participate in this podcast and recently for this episode, but didn't hear back from him by the time we released this episode. Carrie looks back at that injustice and others he's encountered and wants to help find solutions to systemic problems. He's always been interested in the law. In fact, he studied pre-law and political science in college. Long before that, back in Miami, he and his dad would watch 80s and 90s crime shows on TV. Night Court, 
Murder, She Wrote, Matlock, series like that. Carrie was always drawn to the lawyers in those shows. Those things were, were fun shows that I, I, I enjoyed. Back then, Carrie didn't know anyone who was a lawyer. He didn't grow up in that world. I wanted to know why people did the things that they did, what provoked people to do that, and if I could, at some point, help change that mindset or either help change the mindset of politicians to actually care about people in our group, in our neighborhood, or coming from where we come from to see things from a different light. I can say, hey, look, I'm, I'm from these circumstances. I've, I've made it out of these circumstances, and there's plenty of people who can do the same thing if they were given the opportunity. These days, Carrie says he has interest in getting his law degree. Now that his four kids are old enough, he's ready to start pursuing some post-career dreams. I don't know what career path I'm going to go with it, but the one thing about law and law school, you can pretty much do any and everything you want to. Carrie knows firsthand what it's like when people don't have your back, to feel let down. He also knows full well what it's like to not be heard, to speak up and speak out, to have your words fall on deaf ears. Carrie Williams wants to be an advocate. The LSATs await. I pray that this is just going to be something that's going to help my family, um, also help other people, you know, benefit society as a whole. Next time on Uncovering the Birds, why the Eagles believe that Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback. I mean, it was done. Yeah. It was over. So Jalen took advantage of his opportunity and sort of proved, I thought, in his rookie year, he could end up being a franchise-type quarterback, and that's, that's exactly what happened. That episode comes out Friday, May 19th. This is Uncovering the Birds, sponsored by Wawa, a production of the Philadelphia Inquirer and KYW News Radio original podcasts. Our producer is KYW News Radio's Brian Seltzer. Tom Rickard is KYW News Radio's director of podcasting. The executive producer from the Philadelphia Inquirer is Renee Eiffel. Special thanks to 6ABC and NBC Sports Philadelphia. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. It would be a big help if you just told one person about the pod to help spread the word. You can also leave us a review or a rating, like Skeletor P-Funk did on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the feedback. You can listen to episodes of Uncovering the Birds free on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to inquire.com slash podcasts. I'm Jeff McClain. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore McLean on Facebook or Instagram, or you can just read my stories at Inquire.com. We'll talk to you next week. Dave Uram from Philadelphia's Morning News. Do you think you're one of Philadelphia's biggest sports fans? Do you know someone who has a great story about their fandom? Well, we want to tell these stories in our Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week series. Hit us up at kywnewsradio.com slash fans.